For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have ye ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also, helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on your behalf, on our behalf. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time. I pray that you would speak to hearts through your word today. I pray that you would um, help me to speak the words you'd have me to speak and uh, to be clear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're looking at, at 2 Corinthians. Obviously, 2 Corinthians comes right after 1 Corinthians, right? Um. It was, from the research I did, it was probably written about a year after 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians dealt with a lot of issues in the church in Corinth. Um, so, first of all, I see the, intro the introduction to the book. Um, we see the author is Paul. First word of the book. Pretty simple, right? Um, who are the readers? Who is this in letter intended to be read by the church of God at Corinth. There it says it right there in verse number one with all the saints which are in all Achaia. And then next we see a greeting. So we're just kind of going through verse by verse some, some very basic um, information about who, who this is being written to. This is the same, he's writing this to the same people that he wrote 1 Corinthians to. And throughout the, the book of 2 Corinthians, he deals with some of the improvements that they've made since the last time that, that he wrote them. Um, I thought this greeting was kind of interesting in verse 2. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I started looking through. I'm like, I think I've seen this in another book somewhere. Then I look through. It's in every single one of the named Pauline epistles. So it's not in Hebrews, but it's also used in first and second Peter, in Second John, and in Revelation. That's pretty cool. And grace and peace. What are these what's what's so special about grace and peace? And um most of these books were written to people who were pagans. What are two things that the world knows nothing about? 
grace and peace. People want peace, but they don't understand what peace is. How do you define grace? I looked up grace in the dictionary on dictionary.com. Um, a good modern source. Grace defined as elegance or beauty of form, manner, motion, or action. When you read your Bible, does that have anything to do with your understanding of grace? No, not at all. Um, peace is the, no the normal, non-warring condition of a nation, group of nations, or the world. Okay. I was called normal one time, and I've never been so insulted in my life. I, I don't understand what they, you know, how do you define normal? Um, how do you describe grace and peace to somebody who's unsaved? You know, you're having a discussion with a coworker. What do you say? Grace. Yeah, well, you can't really define grace as elegance or beauty of form when you're talking about Bible terms. So the, the most basic definition of grace, help me out. I was thinking even shorter than that. Unmerited favor? Maybe. I looked through and was reading through the definition, everything that it can mean. Um, see, grace, I, I've kind of defined it as God's favor, unmerited favor, goodwill, favor, that affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. And um, grace is the one word that we use to describe every good thing that God gives us. And, you know, it's, it's so broad. I don't know, maybe some of y'all have done more study on it, but I tend to get lost in the word. I think, okay, it's God's grace that saves us, right? Right. Absolutely, but I get stuck right there. I'm like, well, what does that mean? What does that grace mean? Okay, yeah, that means I didn't deserve it. But according to this other definition, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, because I'm saved, oh, that means I need to be happy, right? Happy, maybe. But the result of being saved, the result of grace in sanctification, I guess you could call it, in Titus Titus 3. Let me turn over there. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, it starts with salvation, but it applies to all of life after salvation as well. And next, I went to peace. A simple definition that I came up with for peace is God's security. You know, it can be defined as harmony, security, safety. But, I think Philippians, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be careful for nothing. Right? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. 
and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. That's why these people can't understand the word peace, because it passes all understanding. Shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's a state of being in God's secure place, in God's will, I guess you would call it. These two, these two terms right here are the essence of God's gift to us in salvation because they fulfill two of the most basic human needs. Grace and peace. So secondly, that was just the introduction to the book. Next I see the invocation to the Lord. Um, he starts off with, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Father of mercies. You know, dozens of times in the Psalms and over 300 times in the Bible talks about the mercies of God. Um, think of some of the, I guess you would call them the, the popular ones, the, the more well-known ones. Lamentations, 322 and 23. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Um, in Psalm, pulled up a few of the Psalms. Psalm 103, verse 4. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. And 106, verse 7. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt, they remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. You know, this is a particular example of, of God showing mercy to the children of Israel in a time when they completely forgot or chose not to remember what God had done for them. Um, and then 140, Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are all over or over all his works. You know, there are several several examples in Genesis, even in Genesis 32:10, of God showing mercy. Um, this is with Jacob and Esau. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies, and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. The concept of mercy is seen throughout the Bible. And um, as I already mentioned, he sh he's, there are examples of him showing mercy to the children of Israel. And there are examples of him showing mercy to sinners like us. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And um, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God 
who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in, G in Christ Jesus. So we see he shows mercy to those of us who were dead in trespasses and sins. Next we see the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. Comfort there, I mean that's the same word that's used for when Jesus is talking about the comforter will come and in John chapter 14. Um, promise of the Holy Spirit. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And basically that means someone who comes alongside, an encourager. And so that we see the invocation there. And uh, next we see the, the interest of the Lord. You know what? Christ cares about our troubles. He really does. In, uh, in verse 4, who comforteth us, in all our tribulation. Comfort in our tribulation. He's, he is one that comes alongside. He encourages us. The main, the main thrust of this word, comforting, is encouragement. He's there to encourage us no matter what. We see that, we see that through the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, even in tribulation. And that word tribulation basically just means pressing together. Think of it as pressure or even a modern word for that would be stress. Stress of everyday life, the stress of dealing with people. Any kind of stress that comes, I guess stress comes when you stand up for what's right in the world. But why does he do that? Why, why is he comforting us in our tribulation he says it right there in the next phrase that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble so we can comfort others in trouble now some people are just always in trouble but God allows us to go through troubled, troubling times and we see right here so that we can help others in the same way that God helped us. Um, we may not necessarily understand every single thing that that person's going through. Um, but God does, and he will allow us to encourage. He wants us to encourage. That's what he's telling us in these verses. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So next I see that you know, there are sufferings that are abounding. Um, he talks about afflictions and whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Um, you know, some people think that this, past, this book was written around the time of Acts chapter 20. I don't know that that's necessarily, I, don't, I didn't, yeah, see, it's possible based on where he was writing it from. Uh, 
first two verses of Acts chapter 20 say, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given him much exhortation, he came to Greece. And there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. I mean, there's, there's a little bit of language in here that leads us to believe that the Jews were after him, to put it lightly. He had just gotten done um, rousing up the uh, Ephesians in the previous chapter. Um, another passage talking about sufferings we see in Romans, Romans 8.18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Um, and also in First Timothy or Second Timothy, three, verses ten and eleven. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium. At Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. And uh, these are some of the tribulations and the the troubles that he was going through. And he's starting to he's going to get into some of the things that he went through here in just a minute. But we see that he's even looking at his affliction and saying, "It's for your consolation, your comfort." It's the same word used there as comfort earlier. It's for your comfort, your consolation, and your salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And um, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Um, Another word where that, another verse where that uh, word abound comes in. First Peter four thirteen. That's not the one I was looking for. Actually, it was Romans 5.20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know, that, that word abound refers to, you know, exceeding a fixed number of measures. So basically, more than you can count. For as the suffering of, sufferings of Christ abound in us, as you get overwhelmed with the sufferings of your day, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Um, just remember, when your suffering is more than you can measure, remember that Christ's consolation, his comfort, also exceeds what you can measure. And that's, a, that's a huge encouragement when you're, when you're looking, looking up trying to understand why certain things are happening. 
And the next next thing I see here is the energy of enduring. Um, the affliction, the consolation. And the comforting. Whether we be afflicted is for your consolation and salvation. Or whether we be comforted it is for your consolation and salvation. So basically Paul was saying no matter what comes. Whether it's affliction, whether it's comfort, it's for your your consolation, your salvation. It's so that you will grow. Um, next, I see in verse number seven, and our hope of you is steadfast. I see a firm hope right here, knowing. This is the kind of knowledge that's observed. He he watched them, and our hope of you is steadfast, knowing. That as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. He knew that these people stood firm in the faith. And that as they endured afflictions, they would also be able to partake of the encouragement that would follow in Christ. Um, and next I see the, the, an illustration of deliverance. This is where he gets into his personal story. Where he says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength and so much that we despaired even of life. I see this illustration on deliverance. He put into practice what he was just telling them. Well, he, just got, he just got done kind of laying the groundwork, kind of explaining how it all works, and then he's going to tell his story as an application. So we see trouble in Asia. He mentioned that. See, they despaired even of life. Basically, they had given up on living, basically. They realized they were in such a bad situation. I'm not sure we're going to make it out. I mean, they weren't they weren't completely giving up on life, but they, they looked at their circumstances and they realized there's a pretty good chance we're not going to make it out of this alive. They were convinced they were going to die. Um, in verse 9, But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. So they were convinced they were going to die, but they trusted the God. Of, they trusted in the God of the resurrection. Um, and that's what we need to do in our times of trouble, in our times of of struggle. And I don't know if I actually gave my title, but sufferings and solutions was the title, because we're talking about the sufferings here that Paul went through and the solutions that he presents in theory at first and then brings the application through. In uh, Romans 4.17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Here's talking about Abraham. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things uh, which be not as though they were who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. You know, God had promised Abraham a son. And then God told Abraham, take that only son and sacrifice him to him. As far as we know, I mean, Abraham was getting ready to put the dagger in Isaac's chest before the angel stopped him. And um, 
But there it says that Abraham trusted in the God of the resurrection. Think of Daniel in the lion's den. What did the, what did the king say to D- Daniel? Um, guess I better go there. Daniel six sixteen. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into a den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. This was a king who, he understood the power of Daniel's God, but he didn't, didn't at, that, at this point believe in the God of Daniel. He sure did after that. Sent out a decree, you can't worship anybody besides this God. But they were trusting in the God of the resurrection. He experienced, back in in 2 Corinthians 1, he experienced God's deliverance from death. Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver. And uh, through that experience, I see here he gained faith that God would do it again. Um. When we go through trials and we begin to see God working in our lives, we learn that he does deliver us, and he gives us patience to endure the next trial, as he says in James 1.3. Some of you from camp might remember that verse. I guess that wasn't this year, that was last year. Um, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Next, I see identifying the help and deliverance. Um, He identifies some of the, a couple things here that really helped his deliverance. What's in verse 11? He says, Ye also, helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. So what helped their de- his deliverance? The prayers of the people. The prayers of this, of this church. And that word prayer there, it's also translated supplication. They were begging God to keep Paul safe. He thanked the church for the many prayers And he credits their prayers for his deliverance. And, you know, this thought kind of occurred to me as I was reading through this and studying it. You know, if our missionaries, and let's just take the Francis family, they're sent out by our church. If the Francis's relied only on the prayers of our church for their deliverance from trials, how would they fare? I can't speak for anybody else here. I can speak for myself. I know they went through some difficult times at the beginning of of this year. And uh, I was happy to hear that they came out pretty well on the other side. But I looked back during that time and did I do my part, pray for them like I should? 
you know, sure, we pray for them, you know, once a week, twice a week at church. But Paul was in that exact same situation. He was out there. He was facing life and death every single day. Um, so that definitely was, that was a challenge to me. And next I see instruction following the deliverance. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we've had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly to you, Lord. As he's wrapping up this first portion of the first chapter, telling the story of everything that he's gone through, He's rejoicing in the testimony of a good conscience and the evidence of good conduct in this world. And he lists a few, a few specific, um, a few specifics in his testimony. There, he talks about simplicity. Simplicity is just def- defined as free from pretense and hypocrisy. If you say somebody's a simple person, they're just who they are. There's nothing fake about them there's not nothing complex and that's that's what he he's bringing out that in simplicity and then he says in godly sincerity sincerity is complete openness you know a very sincere person is completely open they want to want you to know what they're thinking and he's talking about godly sincerity not with fleshly wisdom which we have examples of fleshly wisdom in James 3. Um, But we see evidence of good conduct by the grace of God. God provided deliverance. God provided deliverance to him. And then also toward the Corinthians... And more abundantly to you, Lord. He was able to minister to the Corinthians even more because, because of their involvement in his ministry through their prayers. And so our challenge today is are we praying for others among us that we know are struggling? I'm not going to call out any names, but you know there have been prayer requests mentioned about folks within our church who have needs. Um work needs, um, family needs. Our salvation list is, I think we've kind of refined that to mainly people that we know. And are we praying for those other ones among us, church members and even missionaries? And are we trusting that Christ will come alongside us in our time of trouble? Oftentimes, when we get into trouble, we have a tendency to just clam up and look at ourselves. But that's when God wants us to look around. Because he comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble. By the comfort, wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And that's our challenge today. I'm sure this isn't the most eloquent way 
but I hope you can take something from it today. That no matter what kind of struggle you're going through in your life, God's always there, and he wants you to be there to help others. In the same way that Christ helped you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the comfort that you give. And while I know that this is dealing specifically with persecution, Lord, our day-to-day struggles still matter to you. And I pray that you would be honored and glorified in this time. Pray you continue to speak to, to hearts through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.